Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogyourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. Welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. We're coming live from the studio with my buddy Brayton Edlin. Brayton, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm just hanging out like a hair in a biscuit. <laughs> I don't even know exactly how a hair hangs out in a biscuit, but uh, we've been talking about doing this for a hot minute. And obviously, it's taken a while for you to come down here, but you've come down here and trained a few times. We've known each other for a few years, so obviously, you're you're a perfect candidate for uh, a profile episode, anyway, because you're uh, you really are just an everyday average guy that just got into the gun dog world. But you know, go ahead and introduce yourself, where you're from, what kind of dog you run, and and ultimately how long you've been messing around with gun dogs. So, uh, Brayton Edlin, I'm from Paris, Tennessee. And I've got Poodle Pointer. Um, I kind of got into it unintentionally. I primarily waterfowl hunt. And I got into watching hunting shows in between classes in college. And stumbled across a video of this guy with a Poodle Pointer. And thinking, what kind of mixed dog is that? <laughs> and, you know, I didn't. The next episode, he's shed hunting with it, and then he's upland hunting. And I'm like, okay. Well, I started looking into him, and I just dead set that was going to be the dog for me. Uh, I Prior to that, I had absolutely no experience with a hunting dog. Uh, actually, and you said this was a TV show? Uh, it was a Netflix show, uh, The Hunt with Scott Haugen. Okay. And, uh, you know, I guess a little pre-story to that is majority of my life I grew up racing motocross and 
closer to graduating college, I realized I had to find a hobby that was a little easier to go to work on Monday. Oh, okay. A uh, little less time in the emergency room. But I don't know. It was something about the poodle pointer that I had to have one. And I really had no intentions of it turning into what it's turned into. Um, I've gone kind of zero to 100 in the last four years (laughs) which is pretty typical to a bunch of us that get into this gun dog world uh you know it's like you you get in you test the waters and then all of a sudden you're just jumping in with both feet yeah and you know i will say the connections and the friends i've made in the dog world are unlike anything i've ever met with anybody else and you know any other group i mean i've got friends in florida and georgia wisconsin illinois like i talk to on a weekly basis yeah and it, like you said, a weekly basis. This isn't you. You check in, and a, you know maybe next year you talk to them. I'm the same way. I, I I now talk to people across the country, and even in other countries, on a regular basis now, all with just a shared interest in dogs. Yeah, and it's cool because it's even the people you're training with or hunting with. You may have two completely different hunt styles, training methods, two different kinds of dog. But you all kind of have the same end goal of we want an awesome hunting dog by hunting season. So, you know, I think on the way up here, I was kind of thinking, I think I've been to 12 different states this summer. Yeah. Either training or, which my big goal that I've worked with this summer was getting ready for utility. So on duck search, I wanted to go to as many different bodies of water so that my dogs used to, you know, flooded marsh, flooded timber. And so that whenever I do get to the test, I'm as pre- my dog is prepared as possible for the task at hand. Well, and ultimately we, we talk about that all the time to where when you're training these, these tasks, you need to do it in as much different scenarios, different places with different people, different dogs, what have you, changing it all up. And then that way, whenever you get to the test grounds, wherever it is, it doesn't matter because they've been trained in 20 different locations and styles of marsh or, or flooded timber or swamp or what, whatever it is. It's going to be a more well-rounded dog. And then, let's face it, we're not always hunting the same exact location either. We're always changing up where we hunt. So you need a dog that can be comfortable doing the task in multiple spots. Yeah, and, you know, it's the same way as if you take a trip out west to hunt wherever you're scouting, I mean, you may drive four hours north and be in something completely different than what you were hunting earlier. Yeah, yeah. So go go back to the Poodle Pointer because the the TV show may have clued you into the Poodle Pointer, struck a chord to where that's the dog for me. Did you even bother looking at any other dogs or was it just you saw it and it just it felt right and you just kind of went with your gut the rest of the way? So I guess maybe a little bit more backstory on me being more into waterfowl hunting up until I think I was 16 I'd never hunted before and the group of friends I grew up with were avid waterfowl hunters everybody that had a dog had a lab and my entire life I've been the kind of person that I've always liked different whatever everybody else is doing I want to do something a little different yeah and uh so I mean, the first year I hunted, I went to, you know, my local mom and pop gas station, bought my hunting license to go to the blind drawing, and 
you know, at the time, I don't even know how it's possible, but I'd never taken hunter safety. Somehow managed to get a hunting license without hunter safety. <laughs> so, so you found the loophole is just go go try and buy your license. And, and I don't even know how it worked, but it was like the old, you know, machine hooked up to the phone line. And <laughs> so, and I didn't think anything about it. Three, four years later, getting ready to go on my first out-of-state hunting trip. They asked for that hunter safety ID number. And I went to buy my license online, and it's like, this hunter safety number is not valid. And I'm like, oh. so <laughs> better, you know, better go do that. <laughs> so here I am, 19, 20 years old, and I don't know if I've ever told anybody this, but sitting in hunter safety with a bunch of eight-year-olds. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. Well, I've actually been there, though, not in the same circumstances, but I didn't take hunter safety till I was 19 either. When, when I got back from boot camp and, and training and all that stuff for the reserves, uh, it, I was 19. So, yeah, it was really interesting being, like, one of the oldest ones actually in the course, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, the eight-year-olds didn't stand a chance during the shooting portion. <laughs> you smoked those eight-year-olds. Oh, yeah. But, but, and so, you know, that kind of put me into – so I'm branching out to other states, doing more hunting, and I just, I don't know what it, specifically, I like the versatility. I had no intentions of getting into upland hunting. I for sure had no intentions of getting into traveling around and training to the extent that I've been doing, and I just really, it kind of has just spiraled out of control. Yeah. Which is a common occurrence for a lot of us, as, as we talked about just a minute ago. Talk to me about you're brand new to hunting. You fall in love with this breed. You get the dog. What are you doing to figure out how to train the dog? Because, you know, that's a completely different bear than just deciding to go get a dog. Now you have one. What do you do with it? Yeah, so I was on a waiting list for, I want to say, close to a year. Get my dog, and I'm like, crap. <laughs> now what do I do and like I don't even know where to start right and so I ended up joining the NAVDA chapter in Tennessee you and Austin were the first two people I ever met in NAVDA and so I was almost four hours from my house so I'm getting up at two in the morning on Saturdays to Just go to, to train a day train a day yeah so I'm driving eight hour round trip to train for 30 minutes and basically just trying to learn what I can to take back home. And it's, you know. Was was that effort rewarded? Was that time and effort and cost? Do you feel like it was worth it to do those training days, at least in the beginning? I, I want to say yes. But at the time, I wasn't like really looking at the big picture and retaining kind of what I was seeing. Because it, you know, you kind of have to have a little bit of knowledge on what you're doing in order to ask a question on how to do it. And I just kind of had to put myself in the environment so that I could start kind of thinking for myself on how I want to do this. What do I need to do to get to the next stage with not jumping around and being inconsistent with the dog? And I was just going to say, I mean, think back on it, you know, this is a little different than typical profile episodes because I've as you just said, we've known each other a few years. You you were, I think me and Austin started going like right before you. You got you came in right behind us. 
But your challenge when you first started was you were every day doing something different. Yeah. You, you couldn't pick exactly how you wanted to do it. It's just like you would show up for one training day and I'm training this way. I'm training this method. Then the next month you'd be on a completely different method. And it was just like me and Austin couldn't keep up with you because it was every single month you were on to the next biggest and best program or method that supposedly works for all dogs. Well, and that was, you know, I, I think especially kind of being new, I needed somebody to just grab me by the shoulders and be like, look, you, you need to <laughs> chill out. The, the dog's got it, but you need to make sure the dog's solid on what it's doing before you move on. And, you know, as far as I kind of just hit the ground running, I went up to northern Wisconsin. I think the dog was six months old. Rough grouse hunted. Um, at a year old, I took her to North Dakota for 10 days. And we've not really looked back. I mean, I after the grouse hunting trip, I was so struck with the kind of hunting with a dog bug that I came home and I sold my race bike <laughs> and ordered a topper for the truck and went and bought a Garmin Alpha. So it, it's taken me a little while to really, I would say my connection with the people in North American Poodle Pointer Society has really been my connection in the last year to year and a half of trying to get my dog to the end result I'm looking for. Uh, you know, I've made tons of great friends through that organization and people that know what they're doing on training and are able to, you know, I can call them, hey, I'm having an issue with this. They're like, okay, well, you can't just tell me, film a video of you doing it with the dog. Yeah. And explain to me why you're having this issue, you know, show me. And then they can give me not just, here's what you're doing wrong. Well, that doesn't seem to be working. Try this. And that has been, I mean, I've done more as far as progressing with my dog in the last year than I have in the last three. Yeah. And ultimately, it boiled down to you weren't getting the feedback, the why, as to... It, you were realizing that this method or this approach, whatever the flavor of the week was, right, the flavor of the month was, you, you saw it wasn't really connecting, it wasn't working, but you didn't have the knowledge or the know-how to understand why it wasn't working. And it, I get, it sounds like, just reading between the lines, it sounds like once you got around the people that could explain that why, why this isn't working, why that perhaps is working, it started kind of making a little more sense to you. Yeah, because, you know, You've got to kind of have your training planned out in your head before you go have your training session. You know, that's been one of the big things for me is I've gone into it with here's what I'm going to do, but I didn't have a plan B in place for if plan A didn't go as planned. So then, you know, you've automatically lost your timing for making corrections if you don't know how to do the correction. And, I mean, on my N.A. test, I drove eight hours to Ohio after I got off work. And I pull up at the training grounds. Dog went into heat on the way up there for the first time. And I'm just scratching my head like I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'll go up to the line in the field. So we're the last dog to run. I get to the field and... 
my dog's wearing her Garmin tracking collar. <laughs> and the judge is like, why is your dog wearing a collar? I'm like, well, is there issues? Yeah, you can't you can't use that. <laughs> I thought that like I thought he was messing with me. He's like, no, you got to take that tracking collar off your dog. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, and he's like, well, was she gonna recall? I'm like, Are we fixing to find out. <laughs> and then, so you're just going through the paces. You're going to do the test because you've been told this is what you're supposed to do. Like, hey, you're in NAV to go go test your dog. But nobody in the chapter or, or anybody that's really directed you took the time to even explain to you, hey, you can't use an e-collar on the test. Yeah, I mean, and I'm like, kind of a palm to forehead moment. I'm like, how have I missed this? <laughs> and, and then so like, you know, the field portion went great. The water portion was great. And... Then they're like, all right, you know, we're, we're going to do tracking next. And, you know, one of the guys that was also testing a dog, like, I looked over him. I'm like, what are we tracking? He's like, it's the pheasant track. <laughs> you you really knew nothing. No, I mean, I was as green as a gourd. And I looked at him. I'm like, oh, a, a pheasant track. He's like, yeah, haven't you done one? I said, <laughs> no. So, you know, we get. And was I, this test before you started coming to the chapter training days? No, this was after I'd probably been to... Like one or two or something? I think three or four. Okay. Um, but, you know, I kind of had that newbie mentality of, I want to go get my dog on birds. And yeah. that's where I've realized there's a lot of things that you need to have solid before you just go stick your dog on birds. And, I mean, during the pheasant track of her test, I get up to the line... And the judge is like, okay, release your dog. I released her, and I'm standing there like a knot on a log. And <laughs> she starts tracking. Well, then she starts running around in circles, and then an ankle-tall grass just locks up on point. And I'm like, oh, no. And the judge walks over, and I guess it was the apprentice judge or something that was taking the pheasants out there to release them for the track had lost his walkie-talkie. <laughs> and had a bunch of bird scent on his walkie-talkie and my dog locked up on point and pointed the walkie-talkie during the test <laughs> and so you know she ended up with a 108 prize two and it was about as pure of a natural ability test as possible because she had received no useful training from me well i mean so what she had a prize three, and then when you found the judges' radio, you get a prize two. Uh, I told him, I'm like, you know, give me an extra point and track, and then uh, I won't send you a recovery bill. <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it was good, and you know, don't get me wrong, I would have liked a three in tracking for a prize one, but the yeah. way looking back on what I know now, she deserved the prize two. She didn't deserve. She didn't earn a prize three yeah. or. Three in tracking for yeah. a prize one. It's funny how that works. You know, we know quite a we we know a lot of the same people here within our area, obviously. And there's some people that they will uh, disagree with how something is judged on a test, and then they'll go run a test somewhere else, like the following month or something, and then score the exact same thing as they did on the first one because they changed nothing. They if, trained if, nothing if different, if not do worse. Yeah. So 
Fast forward a little bit. Like, when was it that it, it finally made sense to where, oh, if I actually want to work on this, I need a solid foundation. I need to be more consistent. You know, I, I know there was a, a big learning curve with you and Ada inside the house. You know, me and you de- dealt with that a couple of years ago. Uh, was it around that time frame that you realized, okay, a lot of this has to do with me. It's not so much the dog, but it's how I'm going about this. And I need to be a little bit more intentional with these training sessions. Yeah, and that was kind of a, I was blind to my dog. And I, you know, had been texting you and texting Austin. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm having issues with this. And this hasn't been an issue. It's just started happening. And I just kind of had to step back and realize all of these issues I have let become issues or I have created them that, any fault that the dog has is because of me not either correcting or being consistent. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that helped me was at the beginning of this year, uh, I met some of probably the best friends that I've ever had. Like I've known them for about a year, but I feel like I've known them my entire life. Right? They've got poodle pointers, uh, you know, friends in Georgia, Southern Illinois. And I think like the third time I'd ever been around them, we just loaded up and drove 15 hours to Southern Florida for a NAPS event. So we get down there and we're meeting all these people with poodle pointers and training and field trials. And it was kind of through that seeing I would say as far as poodle pointer people are, I would say more like-minded on their training versus at a training day, you know, someone with a short hair may have to train a completely different way than you would with a Spinoni or something like that. And so I was kind of, it made more sense to me seeing the different training methods Versus just someone saying, hey, you're not doing this right. You need to do this, but not going through the steps on why, how, and here's how you need to do it. So ultimately, you surround yourself with like-minded people that maybe perhaps, I mean, every dog is different. But, you know, obviously, dogs within the same breed should have a little more similarities with each other than than differences overall. You know, there's going to be personality differences. But kind of what you're saying, because y'all's end goals are all the same, because y'all are kind of dealing with more uh, similar similar strengths sim- and similar weaknesses. Yeah, you know, they're all different, of course, but because you're starting to see some of these common threads kind of unravel and you're seeing what it takes to be the higher level dogs over here, you start it starts clicking for you. Yeah, and you know, it became a thing that I'm, I want to say from February to end of April, I spent every single weekend with this group. We were constantly going different places and training and doing this. And it was more or less, you know, we were kind of pushing each other to reach a goal with our dogs. Because, you know, two of the dogs, my dog and one of their younger dogs, were both training towards utility. So a lot of the things we were doing, we were going at it about the same timeline, but we were also making the same mistakes. And that's where, I mean, I was on a waiting list all year last year trying to get into utility. 
couldn't get into a test, and uh, which recently had my first litter. They're five weeks old and in my dining room right now. <laughs> so I've got my kitchen table in my living room, but it's really kind of come full circle not having to just do it by myself and figuring it out by making more mistakes, which I've made more mistakes with my dog than I've done good. Yeah. And it, it comes down to what we talk about all the time, whether it's a NAVDA chapter or whatever training group, small group, like whatever the heck you want to call it. It's hard to do this by yourself. Can you do it by yourself? Sure. With enough headache and enough, enough, drive and, and motivation sure yeah you can do this by yourself and some people might have to you know they might live in a really rural area but if you have the option to find other people whether it's the same breed or not the really what you talked about at the start of all of this is the important thing a shared goal which is to make the dogs better you know it, it could be it doesn't even have to be the same like testing or trialing goals as long as everybody is in it for the same reason which is the dogs you can be completely different from each other and be in the field and benefit from each other. But it sounds like it, it didn't really start kind of forming and heading the direction that you've kind of envisioned and been looking for until you found that that training group, that small group that you can count on and know when you're in the field with them, not only can you trust that they're doing everything that you've asked them to or, or that you're setting up, but it's all coming from a good place to where whatever they're going to do it's going to be for the betterment of your dog as well. And you, and you don't have to always be, uh, you know, what are you doing over there? Like it, it's just, it's hard to explain to a lot of people that, that maybe haven't had some poor training partners, if that makes sense. Uh, but it sounds like you find the right group. And once again, it, it starts making sense and you start making strides in your training. Yeah. And you know, the biggest thing, and this is where the other people come into play, having help with your training is making it easier, one, setting up, because if you can do one setup that works for multiple dogs, you're saving a lot of time. And then two, the biggest thing I've learned through a bunch of these other people, no matter if it is woe training, duck search, especially duck search, never let the dog fail. Always have, you know, say if you get a duck search, don't just have one duck. Because if it gets away, you cannot guarantee that dog's success. Yeah. And and you want you want that dog to come out of the water, whether it was a good session or a not-so-good session, you want the dog to, quote, succeed. Yeah, have some sort of wind coming out of that water for sure. So you're getting ready for utility, and you found the training group and everything, and you've been coming down. You've come down a couple times this year, and, I mean, it's making strides. I mean, you are, like you said, you're you're – least going out there with a better plan you're more intentional with what you're doing i enjoyed the few times we actually got to share a field this year you know in years past like you said you're kind of all over the place and sometimes it's like well i don't i don't even know how brayton's training anymore <laughs> so, and i didn't know how i was training at the time right and so it, it's really kind of been fun for me and and austin you know it, he was down here the last time you came down after you left it's just like man like you've come a long way kind of understanding at least how this should work and you know and you're you're in the process of making it work in the utility so what what do you foresee being your biggest challenges as, as you kind of prepare for this utility test coming up the next year my biggest issue is my retrieve um and you know 
that's where you go back to being honest with yourself. You've got to know what your dog's weaknesses are, and that's my dog's weakness. And I went through force fetch for the first time earlier this year, and I thought, you know, hey, I got this. Well, I didn't. <laughs> and I've got a lot of holes, and to the point where, you know, it's not filling a pothole. I've got to do a little bit more work and pave a whole new road. we got to go back from the beginning. Yeah. And to me, that's the only feasible reason to justify it. And going through it again, you're going to realize where it was throughout your process on the first go-around that created those holes. You know, it's force fetch is one of those things. It's it's tough, especially that first time going through it. You can do it. You can figure it out as you go through. But it's uh, it's a learning curve, man, and it can be a stiff learning curve for, curve for a lot of people. Well, and that was my problem is I every article I read, video I watched, book I read – I'm like, okay, now I get it. Well, I would read something else. What contradicted what I read before? Yeah. And so if, you know, if there's anybody that is in a similar situation to you want to do it, but you don't know the path forward and you're hesitant, find the one that makes the most sense to you and just do it. Because if it doesn't work, okay, well, now you can mark that one off the list. You know it's not, you know, your dog doesn't understand that method go to the next one because if you don't try it you're never going to get your dog to that level yeah and even even though it didn't result in the finished results that you're hoping for she still came out a better retriever than what she was before it right yeah and it's just it's the she's always bringing birds back but it's the end result of bringing a hand that that's my issue and you know it's clearly something i created through the process of not doing it right and so i'm just so I'm, but i guess what i'm saying is even though it didn't get to the to the highest level that you're hoping for still doing it you came away with a better dog just from the time spent and the effort putting into it yeah and i don't think that my force fetch method that I did I don't think that it really made her a better retriever than what she was to begin with but I do think it made a better bond as far as for other training objectives Mm -hmm. we kind of had a better understanding yeah and so just by formalizing some things in the structure and the obedience you get you came away with that better relationship which of course you've you've heard on the podcast we've we've preached that nonstop. at the at the end of the day you can farm out forest fetch but the the biggest benefit of force fetch is is arguably the intangibles the stuff yeah. that you can't really like put a, a a for sure definition on uh and that that bond and relationship with the dog it's just it's the next level when you come through it i mean it's just you spend that many sessions that many days in a row you're gonna come away with a better relationship with the dog unless you really just kind of overstep the 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 boundaries of the method <laughs> you know it, you should be safe and come out with it with some positives out of it even if you you know there are some holes when you're done with it yeah and you know if you've got a good bond with your dog your bond or your dog's going to forgive you when you mess up i mean if you have the bond the the dog's going to forget oh, okay well i accidentally shocked him and i didn't mean to 
if you have a connection with your dog and you're constantly working and training and hunting that dog, the dogs are going to forgive you. I mean, we make mistakes. They make mistakes. None of us are perfect. Yeah. Well, again, so I've been involved. We've known each other for a while. You've been listening to the podcast since day one, obviously, with me and Austin kind of getting the whole thing going. Uh, what's been an episode or few episodes or guests that has really resonated with you that have, has helped you through some hurdles or at least, you know, hopefully kind of guided you in a way to where some things made a little more sense to you and, and maybe it helped you kind of zero in on certain methods to where you weren't bouncing around so much uh, as you were early on. So as far as educational wise, I think your force fetch series as a whole, uh, not really any specific episode through it but just as a whole because when that came out i was in the process of force fetching for the first time so i'm sitting here and you know kind of like i said where different books or articles or videos kind of contradict each other where you're right there back to back seeing okay well this person with this breed's doing this way this person does it a different way but they both get to the finish line so that's where I say, you know, just pick what you're doing and go with it. It goes back to the why is the same thing. You know, the journey might be a little different. You know, he may take a left or he might take a right or whatever, but you end up at the same destination. And and uh, I'm glad to hear that because that's ultimately the whole point of me doing that force fetch series was like I was getting sick of everybody having a different method. And they're like, well, why can't I not do it? His? I'm like, you can do it whichever way you want. Like break it down at its core principles and it's all the same. It's just how you do it is different. Uh, In but, which one thing like I want to say on the, the training i fully think that the navda chapters training days are invaluable but you're also talking you go to a training day there may be 45 people there the five or six people that are trying to run the show they can't i mean you're not going to have a well-trained dog if you only train on a training day yeah. once a month yeah. it's not going to happen so, you know, like I said earlier, it was nothing against an Avda chapter. It was just, it wasn't clicking with me because I kind of had to find my group of people, my click, to really kind of get down to the nitty-gritty with. Yeah. And, I mean, there, again, like you said, there's uh, there's some invaluable stuff offered at Navda training days, especially when you start out. But let's just face it, especially if you don't have the most orchestrated chapter or organized chapter, uh, and the functions and everything and how it operates, when you start dealing with 30, 40 people, it's it's hard to help everybody. So you get stuck with a lot of the same people doing the same things over and over and over again. They never get to work their dogs. But you end up with the people that come every single month that's just like, oh, I bought a membership. Teach me how to train my dog. And it's like, well, I'll help you, but you also need to do the homework in between training days like you just said you can't show up once a month and unfortunately it seems like that's you know no matter which chapter you talk about that's a challenge for all chapters it's it's not specific to any one it's just the people that show up and it's like okay train my dog and it's like no nah, no nah, that's not what we're here for man yeah and another thing that kind of irks me a little bit is this stigma on training days where you show up, put three birds out, work your dog, and then you go home. Mm -hmm. You're never going to have a well-trained dog if that's all you're doing. 
Yeah. I mean, the, I don't care what breed it is or how bad or good of a handler you are. Your dog has a nose. It knows how to use it. It's natural. Focus on the fundamentals before you, you know, walk before you try to run. Yep. Do it in the short grass before the tall grass. I mean, that that's ultimately what I got sick of saying it, you know, blue in the face over and over and over again. It's if you don't work on it at home, if your dog doesn't know what woe means in the backyard without the distractions, without all this other stuff going on, it's not going to know what woe means in the field either. And so that, that's the challenging part is getting a lot of people to understand that. And it's, it's easy for you to say, it's easy for me to see it because, you know, it wasn't too long ago. Neither one of us knew what the heck we were doing. And like, we've already talked about it, you know, said it 10 times on this episode already, you bounce around from method to method. And so it wasn't even that you weren't trying to do the homework. It was like, you were trying to do the homework from too many teachers, Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, just being more intentional and focused helped you out. Would you say that ultimately, like if you're going to give somebody uh, Brayton's number one tip, you're getting into the gun dog world, you know, no, next to nothing, you have a dog. Is that your number one tip is just find the method that makes sense to you and stick with it? No, I would say if you're brand new into it, start with obedience and make sure that you have a solid foundation. Don't be in a rush to get on birds because the bird work will come. But you, you need to build a good foundation before you start putting walls up. Mm-hmm. Nope. Can't argue with that. Well, is there anything else you want to add to this? I know it goes by fast when we when we hit record. But yeah, and I feel like I'm just bouncing around back and forth like a rubber ball here. <laughs> but... <laughs> That's pretty much me every week anyway. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's really as simple as that, man. It's just, you know, focus on the foundation and obedience and, and then build off of that. You know, we preach it every every single week. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Yep. So, Brayton, I appreciate you coming down again. I've enjoyed kind of seeing you and Ada grow over the years, uh, slowly but surely. I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys get into uh, venturing into the utility field next year. Yeah, hopefully I make less mistakes with the the new pup than I have with her. Yeah. So, she's been my my learning curve. So, might as well just keep riding it out and continue on. Yep. This one goes out to everybody's first dogs, the first dogs that never met their full potential because of our shortcomings, right? <laughs> if that's not the truth. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. 
If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.